Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hi, my name is Joshua Royce. I'm a thoracic medical oncologist and assistant professor of medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine and Georgetown Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center. Today, we're going to be discussing perioperative immunotherapy in early stage non-small cell lung cancer. And I'm pleased today to be joined uh, by my good colleague and friend, uh, Dr. Jessica Donington. Hi, I'm Jessica Donington. I'm a general thoracic surgeon, and I'm chief of the section of thoracic surgery at the University of Chicago. Excited for the conversation. Thank you, Jessica. And I think this is this is probably one of the hottest topics, uh, particularly in uh, in early stage non-small cell lung cancer. It's great to have so many options, but now um, with the emerging perioperative approaches, who is getting treated with what? Who do we give neoadjuvant to? Who perioperative? Who adjuvant? Um, hopefully, we can have an, an exciting discussion. So I wanted to start with a case example. This is a 77-year-old gentleman with a history of COPD, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia, who presents to you for recommendations on management of locally advanced non-small cell lung cancer. He had been following with pulmonology with yearly CT scans for a growing right upper lobe lung nodule, but unfortunately it was lost to follow-up during the COVID-19 pandemic and recently represented. Um, not surprisingly, uh, CT imaging and PET-CT showed an enlarged 5.4 by 4.7 right upper lobe lung mass, along with enlarged right hilar and precarinal lymph nodes. Pathology from an EBUS with bronchoscopic biopsy shows keratinizing squamous cell carcinoma of the right upper lobe lung mass with a right paratracheal and precarinal lymph nodes that are positive, so multi-station uh, N2 lymph nodes positive. Brain MRI is negative for intracranial metastases. The patient's case is reviewed at multidisciplinary tumor board and is deemed as potentially resectable. So the question is, what is your recommended treatment approach? And before we discuss perioperative therapy, I just, for those uh, who are watching who are a little confused about neoadjuvant, adjuvant, perioperative, just wanted to give a little glossary of terms here. So uh, if we look at surgery, uh, what we're talking, neoadjuvant means getting giving treatment before surgery. So systemic therapies before surgery. Adjuvant means giving treatments after surgery. And then this perioperative or periadjuvant um, is a term that's kind of evolving to say giving systemic therapies both before and after surgery. Another important term is we talk in a lot of these studies about uh, disease-free or event-free survival versus overall survival. So what does that mean? So let's say you have a study of 10 patients. Um, one year later, uh, five of these patients are alive and disease-free. Three are alive, but the cancer has recurred, and two have unfortunately passed away. In this setting of disease-free survival, uh, only five of the 10 patients are alive and disease-free because two have passed away and three uh, are have experienced disease recurrence. However, the overall survival here is 80% because there are additional three patients who are alive but the cancer has occurred, but they still are alive and two are, are, are no longer alive. So just a little a visual term for some of the things that we're gonna be talking about. So let's jump right into the data. So the first perioperative trial I wanna discuss is the Keynote 671 trial. This was a randomized double-blind phase three trial that included patients with resectable stage two to three B non-small cell lung cancer as adjudicated by the AJCC TNM eighth staging edition. 
Patients were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to receive uh, the immunotherapy pembrolizumab with cisplatin-based chemotherapy for four cycles, or placebo with platinum or cisplatin-based chemotherapy followed by surgery, and then an additional 13 cycles of adjuvant pembrolizumab compared to placebo with dual pri primary endpoints of event-free and overall survival. This study met its event-free survival endpoint as presented uh, at ASCO earlier this year. And then we had a more recent update just this past month at the ESMO conference uh, that showed a clear event-free survival benefit with a median event-free survival of 47.2 months in the pembrolizumab arm compared to 18.3 months in the placebo arm with a hazard ratio of 0.59. As highlighted here, you could see some important things. Uh, benefit observed across disease histology, both non-squamous and squamous. Uh, benefit also observed across clinical disease stage, 2 to 3B. Uh, and then the benefit, while more striking in the high PDL1 population, uh, there was benefit observed irrespective of PDL1 status. Another interesting point is one thing that we look at is, is how does the benefit differ for those who achieve a pathologic complete response? And what that means is that at the time of surgery, pathologic complete response equals no residual viable tumor. There is no discernible tumor left at the time of surgery. And what this figure shows is that for those who achieved a, a complete pathologic response, those, those patients did best uh, regardless of whether or not they got eye immunotherapy or placebo, the majority got immunotherapy. Uh, but there was a benefit for the, the pembrolizumab arm in those who achieved a pathologic complete response and in those who did not, um, which is important uh, to, uh, to determine and, and to really determine who benefits most from these therapies. Importantly, very recently, we got our first uh, significant overall survival benefit from one of these perioperative trials. And it was in this Keynote 671 study, uh, which showed that uh, the addition of pembrolizumab actually improved survival for patients compared to placebo with a hazard ratio of 0.72. And so what that means, hopefully, is that by adding an immunotherapy, we are able to cure more patients with resectable non-small cell lung cancer, which is really incredible. Um, again, these are some key subgroups, and you could see that this benefit in survival was observed irrespective of disease histology, irrespective of clinical stage um, lymph node status. And then uh, I think a big question still needs to be bared out here is that the benefit was most pronounced in those with high PDL1 uh, expression status. Moving on to the phase three Aegean trial. So similarly designed study, uh, patients with stage 2A to 3B uh, uh, resectable non-small cell lung cancer as adjudicated by the AJCC 8th edition staging were included, though notably patients uh, potentially for planned pneumonectomy were excluded. Uh, patients were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to four cycles of dervalumab with platinum-based chemotherapy, a noticeable difference compared to the keynote study where it was specifically cisplatin. Um, uh, randomized to that versus placebo with platinum-based chemotherapy followed by surgery, and then additional 12 cycles of dervalumab versus placebo with dual primary endpoints of pathologic complete response and event-free survival. This study too met its event-free survival primary endpoint, though with a bit of a shorter uh, EFS uh, median follow-up of 11.7 months, but you could see here a statistically significant clini clinically meaningful improvement in event-free survival with a hazard ratio of 0.68. When looking at subgroups, uh, you could see here also benefit appeared to be irrespective of disease histology, disease stage, PDL1 expression status, and importantly, choice of neoadjuvant uh, platinum, cisplatin versus carboplatin, with the majority of patients receiving carboplatin.
Moving on in our March of phase three clinical trials that show significant benefit is the NeoTorch study. Uh, this uh, was a Chinese study that looked at patients with newly diagnosed resectable stage two to three non-small cell lung cancer who were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to the immunotherapy toripalumab with chemotherapy for three cycles or platinum-based chemotherapy plus placebo for three cycles then followed by additional adjuvant toripalumab versus placebo with primary endpoints of event-free survival and major pathologic response. You could see uh, this study, that which was presented at an at ASCO plenary and then later at ASCO earlier this year, uh, event-free survival hazard ratio of 0 0.40, favoring the addition of toripalumab. And you can see here benefit across um, particular strata, um, most clearly pronounced in the squamous population, though the study did include a majority of actually squamous non-small cell lung cancer patients. Then the last study we're going to discuss in detail today is the Phase three Checkmate 77T trial. Similar to some of the prior discussed studies, uh, this trial did include patients with resectable stage 2A to 3B non-small cell lung cancer as assessed by the TNM 8th staging edition. Uh, patients were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to four cycles of nivolumab with platinum doublet chemotherapy or platinum doublet chemotherapy with placebo followed by surgery, and then one year of nivolumab versus one year of placebo with uh, key primary endpoint of event-free survival. We recently saw this data, and not unsurprising, uh, this too achieved its primary endpoint with the addition of nivolumab to platinum doublet chemotherapy, showing uh, an improved event-free survival with a hazard ratio of 0.58, favoring nivolumab. Subgroups here, you could see benefit more clearly pronounced in the stage three. Hard to say whether that's just because it's a population at higher risk for relapse, um, uh, but either way, a high, more pronounced benefit there. Benefit observed across whether it was single station N2 or multi-station N2. Uh, interestingly, a more pronounced benefit in the squamous population, um, and then a more clear benefit in the PDL1 positive. Uh, Importantly, this benefit was observed in both those who achieved the pathologic complete response and those uh, who did not. You could see, though, that overall those who achieve a pathologic complete response do have numerically higher event-free survival um, and tend uh, to, to do better uh, in the long run. So this is a table quite busy that just highlights some of the similarities and differences amongst these studies. Um, and I think one important point here is that the consistency, the consistency of the benefit. It shows that adding perioperative or neoadjuvant immunotherapy uh, leads to an improved event-free survival and will hopefully cure more patients and see more patients living longer. You could see that the follow-up is longest for the 816 study, where we see an overall event-free survival hazard ratio of 0.68. For Keynote 671, hazard ratio 0.59, also a long follow-up of 36.6 months. Interesting if uh, the cisplatin requirement may have selected for a more robust population. It's hard to say. Um, and then going down the line, you could see consistent benefit um, and uh, across these studies. Though the only approvals currently are for the Checkmate 816 neoadjuvant regimen of nivolumab with chemotherapy for those that have tumors of four centimeter um, or greater in size or nor positive disease. And then the Keynote 671, four cycles of perioperative pembrolizumab with chemotherapy followed by uh, adjuvant pembrolizumab um, and that again is approved in the same uh, population. So moving forward, I think there are some very important questions that we need to unpack. You know, what factors will allow us to select for neoadjuvant versus perioperative? That is the big question. Um, can disease histology play a role? PDL1 status, other molecular markers. 
ultimately, I think we're going to need to utilize a response adaptive approach. Pathologic response, is that enough to stop after neoadjuvant? Minimal residual disease assessment. You know, we went from not having enough treatments for patients with resectable lung cancer to saying, are there patients that we actually can now de-escalate therapy for? It's pretty incredible to see that big switch. Uh, and then for those who experience recurrence, you know, what are we going to offer next? Um, is it going to be a, a platinum IO backbone? Um, do we need to add in an additional IO checkpoint? Do we need to throw in a new antibody drug conjugate, some other novel approach? I think these are key questions. Just some interesting things here. I think PDL one status is one interesting question. When you look at event-free survival, this is a population that did not have as clear benefit in the PDL one negative. However, for event-free survival from the other perioperative studies, perhaps a little more signal of benefit. It's so difficult to do cross-trial comparison, but perhaps that's a population where we're really deploying a perioperative upfront that makes the most sense. Same can be said about disease histology. You know, again, it's hard to make cross-trial comparisons, but the squamous population did not appear to do quite as well um, in the neoadjuvant Checkmate 816 study, but that benefit uh, clearly was there in the other perioperative studies. So just some interesting food for thought. Uh, moving forward. So just to quickly return to our case. Um, so this patient was discussed. He did receive three cycles of neoadjuvant Nevo Carbopac, uh, followed by resection. Uh, at the time, this was the only thing approved. Um, uh, pathology at resection, so 10% residual viable tumor in the resection bed, uh, as well as residual uh, tumor um, in 4R, 7, and 10R lymph nodes. Uh, NGS did so a pdl one of 50% mutational burden of nine. Um, and so uh, the question is, would we recommend any additional treatment at this time? I think this is a big open question that we'll talk in greater detail. In this case, we did elect um, to begin adjuvant pembrolizumab, um, and he continues that at this time with excellent tolerability and no recurrence. So with that, I know this was a whirlwind, but I'd like to welcome in um, uh, my colleague, uh, Dr. Jessica Donington. And Jessica, how do you approach the big question, neoadjuvant versus perioperative? How, how are you looking at this data and, and what do you think are some key take-homes that we can utilize to tease out who, who deserves what? I think it's really hard and it's really challenging right now. I think there are a couple important points. One, you showed that we just don't have a lot of follow-up from most of these trials right now. You know, Aegean, NeoTorch, you know, they reported with follow-ups that the median follow-up matched the length of the treatment. And so, so not that it's not going to be great data, and I bet it, you know, it's going to look just like our other trials because we're seeing that with these agents, this, you know, very consistent findings, but it just makes it a little harder to know what we're going to expect long term because we're just starting to get 18 months past treatment where the, the Checkmate 816, we're, we're now, you know, almost three years past treatment. Uh, and so what we see looks real. Um, I think it's hard. I mean, this patient, 10% residual viable tumor, I don't know. You know, right now, one thing, I'd love seeing path responses, but so far we've only seen them as a yes, no. You're either path response, you know, path CR, you're not. You know, is someone with 5% viable tumor the same as someone who has 95% viable tumor? I don't think so. So I think I would really love to see that become a much more nuanced to really tell us about what's going on in these patients. Because my bet is that the cutoff for where we're really going to see long-term results is not going to be at 100% dead tumor. Um, so, but, you know, is it 10, 15, 20? I think this is where I'd love to see data from all the trials together to really help us tease that out. 
I think the other important point is these, this, some of these patients can't get through all this. This is a lot of treatment, more than we typically give lung cancer patients. <laughs> so, you know, all of the perioperative trials have significant dropout with only about somewhere between 40 and 60% of patients completing all the therapy. So I do think we have to be selective. You know, at the same time, I've had a number of healthy patients who tolerate their induction well. I have no problem with continuing if that's the conversation. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's it's such a challenging question. And and I guess another question then is, you know, so a patient has a pathologic complete response, right? We don't see any tumor at the time of surgery. Like, is that enough? Like, like I mean, I know this is just kind of us talking back and forth, some, some discussions. We don't have the data to suggest that. But in your opinion, if you see a pathologic complete response, like, how are you going to approach that patient? You know, if they come and talk to you about, all right, should I continue IO? Like, what if you started with Pembro chemo four cycles, you know, and then you have a pathologic complete response? Like, how are you going to approach this patient? So it's so funny. I, I don't have this answer, but it's very funny how I have, you know, a group of oncologists and they are live on opposite sides of this argument. So you have to like think to yourself, okay, who are they seeing? Who do they come from? Because I got to steer the conversation a little bit in that direction. Um, because I don't think any of us know. We don't, you know, you can read this half empty, half full data, however you want. You know, in five years, the picture may be clear, but right now it's not. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think, you know, as we alluded to in this discussion, perhaps there are some patients where at least the data subgroups suggest like, all right, if they're squamous or they're pdl one negative, you know, maybe those are ones where clearly there's a perioperative benefit, at least the studies so far suggest it. But for pathologic complete response, do we have the data to say, you know, should we continue, should we stop? Especially if you give a perioperative regimen, if you give pembrochemo, that study was not designed to stop. You know, it wasn't designed to say, all right, we'll stop with PCR. I mean, these are trials that we need to have. I mean, when you think of it kind of logically, at least when I think of it, I think of two extremes where I, I question the utility of additional adjuvant. One is that pathologic complete response, and we need to see more data there. But the other to me is those who have like no pathologic response. Like if you have a 100% residual viable tumor, I think you've essentially proven that that's an immunotherapy refractory tumor. Yep, and I totally it, agree. is more adjuvant immunotherapy really going to help that patient? I would say probably not. And I think that's where you need to design the escalation studies of additional checkpoints, antibody drug conjugates, things like that. Yeah, I guess I'm hoping that, you know, in our new world, you that'll be another point, you know, we'll, we'll, You'll do our induction. We'll see what our path response is, which I guess is, you know, it's way better than radiologic responses. It's a great marker. And then, you know, I, I, I still think that group with residual viable tumor is going to be the group that needs the next point of attention because it's a lot of patients. 75% of our patients have residual viable tumor after resection. Uh, and we still have a ways to go in finding an answer. And you're right. For a lot of them, it might be changing therapy. What do we get to add at that point? What's different? Exactly. I mean, clearly we're still not curing the majority of patients, you know, and, and, and we can't stop until, until we're, until we can't improve anymore. Um, and, and I think we're still a ways away from that. Uh, and, and, and I, I mean, I agree. And I think the minimal residual disease assessment is going to be, going to be key. I don't know if the technology is quite there yet because it's different than our traditional CTTNAs, right? It's, it's looking at methylation signatures or, or can you do a tumor informed approach where you take the resected tumor and then you're really doing a patient specific MRD detection. And so I think these are technologies that are developing, um, but you know, they're, they're clearly not prime time yet.
Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully soon. But I agree. Uh, and I do think, you know, tumor specific is going to be the answer. And it's the same thing. If you've resected the tumor, you've got a lot of antigen, a lot of antigen you can work with to find that that marker. Exactly. Um, well, I guess, you know, with that, I'd, I'd like to to close the discussion. Uh, really, I thank you for this this fruitful conversation. And um, uh, hopefully we will continue to get more answers to help more of our patients moving forward. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.